Wonderful to see uh, all of you today, uh, those of you in the building and those of you uh, on the live stream as well. It's great to have you with us. Shall we pray? And then we'll look at those uh, parables that Jesus told uh, for a little bit together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you uh, first spoke those stories that Emma just read to us all those years ago. And yet, Jesus, we pray that you would be speaking to each one of us now by the power of your Spirit as we look at those stories afresh today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here coming up on the screen is the, um, the front cover of last week's uh, copy of The Big Issue. Uh, you may have seen it. It was a special edition of the magazine, and it was uh, guest edited by a guy I hadn't heard of called Rutger Bregman. I looked him up. He's a, he's a Dutch popular historian uh, who I uh, discovered has a very, very optimistic view of the world. And, and really, his, his view of the world is best summarized in the title of this magazine, where he says, cynicism is out and hope is in. And alongside this title there below is a picture by uh, local resident Charlie Mackesy, who some here in the church know. Uh, Charlie Mackesy, many of you will know, he's been top of the bestseller list for the last six months uh, with his wonderful book, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. And you can see it says, up on the, if you see it up again, uh, you can see it says uh, of Charlie Mackesy's little picture that he has drawn uh, for this magazine. If we just have it up again, Charlie Mackesy writes, sometimes all you hear about is the hate. But there's more kindness in this world than you could possibly imagine. And very simply this morning, what I want to ask each one of you is, is that front cover of the big issue true? Is that true? You know, what do you reckon? Is cynicism out and hope is here to stay? Is there loads of, of kindness in this world and, and things are on the up? You know, I'm an optimist. I am most definitely an optimist. You know, I'm the kind of person, uh, at the start of the day, I'll write a to-do list of 25 things that I'm sure I'm going to get done that day. I get to the end of the day, and I've, uh, you know, I've probably managed two of them, and one of them was, uh, you know, have lunch or something like that. So I am, by nature, a huge optimist. And even I do not think I'm as optimistic as that big issue front cover. You know, I read the media each day, just as you do, and there seems to be far more cynicism than there is hope. I talk with people each day, as do you, generally more about fears and frustrations than joys and delights. I know my own heart each day, and each of you know your heart each day. And so does Jesus. Jesus knows our hearts. And last week, if you were here, I spoke about the, the most famous invitation Jesus ever gave in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And I don't know about you, but I reckon that Jesus' description of us there, weary and burdened, that is a far more sort of accurate picture of what is going on in life rather than what the big issue says, particularly with all the challenges at the moment. And yet, last Sunday at church, I finished the talk uh, by saying this. I said, in a culture of negativity, which I think we have in our world at the moment, in a culture of negativity, this church, HTC, it can be a community of hope. I said. It can be a community of hope. And in saying that, I want us to think through, am I being even more optimistic than the big issue? You know, was that pie in the sky dreaming in the face of all our weariness and burdens? Was that a, a ludicrous, arrogant claim by a ludicrous, arrogant religion to say that this church can be this community of hope? You know, it would be a ludicrous and arrogant claim if what I was saying is this church is a community of hope because we are all such wonderful, kind people. 
No, the truth is we stuff up like the rest of South London. You know, we have times of unkindness as well as kindness. We are weary and burdened as much as the next person. But the reason it is not a ludicrous, arrogant claim to say that this church can be a community of hope is because the claim is not dependent on us, but it is dependent on the person that this church is centered on, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, he changes everything. And really what I want to do in the next 10, 12 minutes is just look at these three parables that Emma read for us so wonderfully just before. And just say, as we look at those, how can we see that Jesus really does change everything? Here's the first reason. Jesus is a provider of hope. He's a provider of hope. So in Jesus' three parables, the sheep, the coin, and the son, all of them are lost, aren't they? And in all these parables, Jesus, if you like, he writes himself into the parable. So Jesus is the shepherd seeking out the lost sheep. Jesus is, is the woman looking for the coin. Jesus is the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. And, and think of the sheep. It is lost and helpless. Think of the prodigal son. He's lost and hopeless. And into that situation, Jesus, he is the provider of hope. Just picture, if you would, just picture the prodigal son for a moment. At the start of the story, what does he do? He, he, he basically declares he wants his dad dead. He says to his dad, give me my share of the inheritance. You know, I get a bit offended when my children ask me for more pocket money. But thankfully, they haven't yet asked me for the entire inheritance. But that's what this boy does. He asks for the inheritance, he gets it, and newly minted, off he heads, and he squanders all the money in wild living. And he ends up having to resort to eat pig food just to survive. But what does Jesus say happen, happens next? As he's eating the pig food, what happens? Verse 17, come up on the screen. It says, when the younger son came to his senses. When he came to his senses. He's got to a place of total no hope. And finally, he recognizes that he must come back to his father. That is the only place that hope can be found. He comes to his senses. And so what does he say? He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Now, sin, that's an unfashionable word these days. It simply means turning away from God, just as the son had turned away from the father. And the invitation is simply to come back to Jesus, to, to turn to him, to be in relationship with the one who does bring hope. Just imagine for a moment, if you were, just imagine someone struggling in the sea. Okay, they're on the point of drowning. They, 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 they feel like they've got no hope. They're quite literally, they are weary and burdened. They're treading water and they're about to go under. There's that picture, the person in the sea. And then you, if you like, you're on a clifftop. And you see them there struggling in the water. You see them struggling in the water. And so what do you do? You haven't have a life jacket. So you throw a life jacket to them as they struggle in the water. And you shout out to them. You say, put that on and you'll be okay. Now, just imagine, to your surprise, you hear them shout back, no thanks, I don't want the added burden of that life jacket. Now, that would be bonkers, wouldn't it? It would be absolutely bonkers. And yet, that is what so many of us do with Jesus. We hear Jesus inviting us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and you're burdened, 
He says, come to me, take my yoke, he says, for my yoke's easy, my burden's light. And what do we do? We say, no thanks, Jesus. Not today, Jesus. I don't want the added burden of, of living in relationship with you. You know, Jesus, he's throwing us a life jacket. And we act like he's throwing us a lead weight. And you know, it's only Jesus who has that life jacket. It is only Jesus who can provide you and I with hope. He provides us with hope by being in right relationship with him, the one who has created us and the one who loves us. You see, second, Jesus is a person of love. He's a person of love. His arms are open wide in love for you. Just listen to what the philosopher Kierkegaard writes. He writes this. He says, when it's a question of a sinner, God does not merely stand still, open his arms, and say, come hither. No, God stands there and waits, as the father of the lost son waited. Rather, he does not stand and wait. He goes forth to seek, as the shepherd sought the lost sheep, as the woman sought the lost coin. He goes, yet no, he has gone, but infinitely farther than any shepherd or any woman. He went in sooth, the infinitely long way from being God to becoming man. And that way, he went in search of sinners. That is perhaps the most amazing, wonderful truth about God, that God, God made the first move. And Jesus Christ, in our parable, he is the father, and he is running to his son. He runs to his son with his arms outstretched in utter love for the boy. Many of you will know that uh, Charlie Mackesee, uh, he's famous not just for uh, his book about a mole and a horse, but also for his pictures and his sculptures about the prodigal son, and particularly that moment that the son is embraced by his father on his return home. And coming on the screen is perhaps Charlie Mackesy's sort of most well-known image of this. It is a picture of such love. And just look for a moment. Look at what is written behind the image of the father hugging the son. This is what it says. Let me read it. It says there, it says, this is the story of the prodigal son. It should really be called the running father, who waited every day for his boy to return. The son who'd rejected him so badly, and finally, when he saw him a long way off, his father ran to him and hugged him. And I wonder, I wonder for some here today, are those words that speak into your life right now? Do they speak into your life right now? Is Jesus Christ, is he waiting? Is he waiting, just like the father, waiting every day, day after day for you? to return, for you to fall into his arms of love today. And you know, Jesus' arms stretched out in love, above all, we see them at the cross. You know, the cross is where, to, to take what Charlie Mackesy writes on the big issue, the cross is where we see more kindness in this world than you could possibly imagine. The cross is the ultimate picture of love and kindness. It is a man, arms outstretched on a cross, giving his life in love for you and me, paying for the penalty of sin that we each deserve. You see, Jesus changes everything. He's a provider of hope. He is a person of love. And then finally, a picture of joy. 
picture of joy. I was so struck by this as I prepared this talk. These three stories, these three parables, they're all parables full of joy. Now, just take the first one. Three times with the lost sheep, it talks about joy. So verse 5, it says the shepherd joyfully putting the sheep on his shoulders. Verse 6, it it talks about calling to his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. Verse 7, there being more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. It's the same with the the lost coin. The woman is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. And and then with the lost son, four times there is talk of celebration. That word celebrate once the boy is back home. You see, it is this giant picture of joy that Jesus is painting. It's a giant picture of joy. And all that joy, it all flows, it all begins by you and I responding to Jesus' invitation to come to him. You coming to Jesus brings such joy to Jesus. You coming to Jesus brings such joy in heaven. And you coming to Jesus brings you such joy as well. Joy not necessarily from your circumstances, all being fine and dandy in life, it may not be that. But joy from being in a right relationship with your creator, your sustainer, and your savior. And you know, there is only one thing that stops you from experiencing that joy. Just one thing. And it's a single word. Pride. Pride. It was pride that stopped the younger son from experiencing joy. It was pride that kept him in the pigsty until he came to his senses. And it is pride at the end of the story that keeps the older son out of the banquet too. What happens at the end of the story? The party started after the younger son's come back. The older son, he's out in the fields and he comes back from the fields. He hears the music pumping and what happens? Verse 28, what does it say? It says he became angry and refused to go in. Now, wonderfully, just as the father, he he came out towards the younger son, so the father, at the end of the story, comes out to the older son. And just as with the younger son, he speaks to the older son such words of love. He says, my son, everything I have is yours. But what does the older son do? The older son, he sticks with cynicism rather than twisting with celebration because of his pride. He rejects hope and joy and love because of his pride. And my greatest desire is that not a single person here or listening online would make the same choice as that older brother. Just as I close, I want you to just look at the very start of the chapter, the first two verses that that Emma read. Who's Jesus speaking to? Have a look what it says. Luke 15, verse 1. This is who Jesus speaks these parables to. This is what it says. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. So these guys, they'd come to Jesus, hadn't they? They had responded to Jesus' invitation. Jesus doesn't mind where they've come from or what they've done wrong. They're like the younger son. They come to Jesus, the tax collectors and sinners. But next verse, verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered 
this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, the Pharisees are the teachers of the Lord, the respectable people. In their pride, they reject Jesus' invitation. They're like the older son. And the question is so simple for each one of us. Which are you? Younger son or older son? Which are you? Jesus Christ invites you to come to him. His arms are open wide in love to you. And will you let your pride get the better of you? Or will you today experience love and joy and hope by responding to Jesus' invitation to you? Let's pray, shall we? Shall we pray? Just as we stay seated, I'm just going to pray a prayer if you want to respond to Jesus' invitation to you, to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, maybe this morning you want to come to Jesus for the very first time. It may be actually, you, 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 as you look on the last month, last months, you know you've turned your back on Jesus. And it may be you want to come back to Jesus this morning. And if that's you, why not just echo this prayer in your heart? as I pray it now. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, sorry for turning my back on you. Jesus, thank you for making the first move. Thank you for loving me so much that you died on the cross in my place. And right now, Jesus, I'll be honest, I'm weary and burdened. I'm weary and burdened with my sin and my struggles. And Jesus, right now, I choose to come to you so I might know rest for my soul. Jesus, please, would you come into my life by your Spirit that I might know hope and love and joy now and for eternity. Amen.